The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Good afternoon, everybody. Eric Franson, Ajay Salveson. How you doing? Hope you're doing well. Start of Major League Baseball playoffs begins tonight. Long season has come to an end, and the postseason is now. Got a wild card game this evening. Another one is uh, tomorrow. We'll discuss what that uh, uh, those brackets, if you will, look like in Major League Baseball playoffs. What the path to the World Series looks like for some of these teams. And uh, kind of give our, our thoughts about who we think will be there when it's all said and done. So um, we'll also get into a little bit more about the Utah Jazz. They have reported to practice. The fall camp It's underway. And the uh, some of the reactions from Coach Quinn Snyder, uh, General Manager Dennis Lindsay. We'll hear from them. We'll hear from, maybe, hear from Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. Yeah, we're working on it. We're working on that. Uh, but to hear what they all have to say about the start of this new Jazz season and uh, a lot of expectations on this team. So how do the expectations change for some of the players that uh, are in Jazz uniforms, those coming back and those that are new? So we'll look at that uh, throughout the, the show today. Also, uh, on Tuesdays, we share uh, our player of the week from this past week, somebody who released it out to us, what they were able to do in their uh, sport um, on the field of play or on the court, as it were, uh, and also a stat that blew our minds. So something that maybe you didn't hear or were not aware of, something that's happened over the past week that uh, really caught our attention. Um, but uh, first and foremost... Let's talk a little bit about this Utah Jazz team. Utah Jazz made some some moves in the offseason, trading away Derek Favors, who had been there. He was the longest tenured Jazz man uh, in this current uh, lineup. And uh, they made a decision to start to move a different direction, bring in different players to back up Rudy Gobert, uh, and then also bring in another Scorer, a couple other scorers. They decided to make a move to bring in Mike Connolly and also to uh, bring in Boyan Bogdanovich, bring in more shooters, more scorers, more playmakers around Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles, among others. So uh, the Jazz this year are going to look pretty different uh, in uh, some key positions, some key areas compared to where they've been in the past. And so... With that comes some expectations now. This is a team that's been to the playoffs the last two years. This is a team that's made it out of the first round the last two years, but it's a team that hasn't gone any farther than that. And so there's some uh, clear thought that there is the two outstanding young stars for the Utah Jazz, and it's time to start taking more advantage of that and get other players around them to help this team win. I don't yeah. know that there's an urgency, maybe like a veteran team, like we have to win now or else this is all going to fall apart. 
But I think <laughs> the sense is from the Jazz organization is like, look, we we know we've got some talent, proven talent, but they need some help. And with the, the Jazz are willing to say, look, we want to put together a team that can compete for a title, not just to make the playoffs, but for a title. Yeah, that's the thing is is when you take the pieces that you have of this team and you give up what you did to put this team together, you are expecting to not only just go out and compete in the Western Conference during the regular season, but go win in the playoffs. No more of this, hey, let's get through seven games in the first round, be dog tired and get just thrashed in the second round. That's all said and gone now. Now they have depth at each position. Now, granted, you know, it's an 82-game season. It's a long season. Injuries happen. But if everyone can avoid the disastrous injuries, the season-ending injuries, um, such as Dante Exum, uh, if Rudy Gobert can stay healthy, Donovan Mitchell, and everybody else, then this team, honestly, is viable candidate to be in the Western Conference Finals, which is crazy. N- just mind-boggling to say, seeing how competitive that this Western Conference will be this year. Uh, but Quinn Snyder, and that's the great thing, is that every year Quinn Snyder is given a, well, helps develop a roster, but is given a roster with with the help of Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck and, and saying, hey, look, we're going to give you these guys. This is going to help build your team. From here, it's you. You take the will. You decide the minutes. You put that together. And we're going to let you control that steering wheel as long as you're winning games. And and honestly, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't proved any anybody wrong. He's he's won, he's won a lot so far. Seeing like how many times Rudy Gobert's been out for how many games, Dante Exum misses games, Rico Rubio was missing games. Like their depth chart and their roster and their bench was thin, scary thin at one point last year and the year before, and they still made it through. And so Dennis Lindsay is as as he well. Coach Snyder has earned that trust from Dennis Lindsay to where they can say, yeah, let's go ahead and just pull the trigger here. Let's get this guy, this guy, this guy. And then from here, making sure that they let Quinn Snyder, Coach Snyder, have all the space he needs to develop that roster in regards of minutes and spacing and offensive chemistry and so on and so forth. I'd add one more word in there. I would say versatility. Uh, Ooh, I, I like this, that. Yeah, this good. roster has a lot of versatility yes. for Quinn Snyder to play with. If you want to go small, they can go small. You want to go big, they'll go big. Um, and I think they have maybe not as big as some teams. Uh, I look at that, that starting lineup for the Sixers. And that is a really big lineup. Um, but I think that this is a team that has some versatility with scorers and ball handling at multiple positions. So with the new guys that are there and some of the changes that have happened, and even with the guys coming back, how do the expectations change for Rudy Gobert? How do they change for Donovan Mitchell? Or or do they? Uh, is yeah. the pressure on them or is it on no, others? No, it's on the team still. And I think it's more so on the team. Look, last year it was on Donovan Mitchell because he was the only scorer in the Houston series. People always say, well, yeah, he took 40 shots. Well, that's because everyone else was missing their only 10. Jay Crowder had great looks. Joe Ingles had great looks. Kyle Korver had great looks. And they were, just, I mean, rimming out, hitting rim, just not falling. So in that point, Donovan Mitchell, being the leader he is, took you know that to exception and said, "I gotta go score. 
Someone's got to score here. Someone's got to break this 10-0 run. Someone's got to just get see a ball go in the bucket from somebody and see if that will help. And and more often than not, it was it was all on Donovan Mitchell's shoulders. Now, no excuses. Mike Conley takes a lot of pressure off of you because of his ability to score at the hoop, his ability to be able to create for playmakers. But Janovic is another big key guy that they get out of this and and on this roster now, and and he's a He's a great scorer, especially from the corner. You think about all those good looks that Joe Ingles had from the corner, and over half of them go on go in with Bogdanovich. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Well, and even Jay Crowder. I mean, how many three point oh, looks did he look? Oh at? man, and Ricky Rubio was bad and too. Ricky, right you, now, yeah. now who's getting those looks? Yeah, Mike Conley, Mike Conley, and Bogdanovich. Yeah, who both have way better shooting percentages. Yeah. Than those guys oh, absolutely. And then uh, the question is: is depth? So, sorry, I'm just I'm 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 kind of just turning the roster in my head. Who's your starting five, Eric? Give me your starting five. Uh, okay, I think you've got Connolly at the point. Okay. Donovan Mitchell beside him. Okay. Then I think at small forward you have Joe Ingles. All right. And then you've got Bogdanovich at the four, and then Rudy at the five. Yeah. And, and I think the question is, is, is Joe can – I shouldn't say that. Never mind. I was going to say, can Joe play the four if they need to? But I don't think it will matter. Like looking no. at it now, I mean, your first guy Joe off won't have the to bench, worry about it. It's gonna be Royce, um, Ed Davis, or or is it Rudy Go? Or I mean, is it Dante Exum? And by the way, I think in, and, and why side. I asked you is that is is as I was trying to put the roster through my head. I apologize. Conley one, Mitchell two, Royce three, Badjanovic four, and Gobert five. I think Joe Ingles comes off the bench. Really. Royce earned his minutes, man. Royce picked up his game in that second half of the season. I love Royce. I love those versatility, his that he plays defense, and I think his offensive game is improving, but I still think I like the creativity and the facilitator mindset of Joe Ingles. And because he is a he's the best three point shooter on the team. I mean I yeah. see a value in when it's substitution time, oh my gosh, this, the sharpshooter, the trash talker just came in here. There's yeah. no relief. But that I think what's nice about this this Jazz squad and their roster is that there isn't a lot of letdown when you take out members of that first unit. You know, and actually look, thinking about more about the depth and looking at the roster, Jeff Green's going to be a valuable commodity coming off the bench yeah. as Ed Davis scorer. is going to be huge. Look, Ed Davis can't score. No. But Ed Davis can play, play hard straight nose. up defense. Exactly. And Quinn he plays Snyder, a defense. Utah Jazz style. Thank you. Exactly. Spot on. When people come to me, they said, Why do we have Ed Davis on our team? He can't score. You're dang right he can't score, but okay. watch him play defense. He doesn't need to. When Rudy goes off the floor and Ed comes on the floor, it's like a it's it's a half version of Rudy Gobert, but it's a great version of Rudy Gobert. He's still, and by the way, he's much more physical than Rudy Gobert is. He is willing to beat you up on the block and meet you there and challenge you. And he's a great rebounder. He has incredible box out skills. Uh, and he's got great jump, great vertical. He can get up in a hurry uh, from zero to 60 in, in, in seconds. I, I love 
wow, the Ed, uh, Ed Davis edition. For Dante Exum, it's been kind of an interesting roller coaster ride for him in so many ways, Eric. I, you know, you look at, you know, even when he was healthy, Snyder had him on a very short leash. It was, hey, one mistake in your. I remember the Memphis game last year, and uh, he, he comes into the game, and uh, Snyder called a play, and if I remember right, Dante doesn't rover from, because he, he gives the ball to the wing, and instead of rovering to the near side, where I believe Joe Ingles is standing, he goes to the opposite side, and you hear Quinn Snyder go, I just forgive me, everybody, but he goes, damn it, Dante. And Dante just raises his hand, standing in the other side of the corner. Joe's holding the ball in the wing, and he's like, what? What am I supposed to do now? So then he gives the ball to Rudy Gobert. I can't remember how the possession ends. And then, like, during that same, like, five-minute span uh, on defensive side, uh, and this is on the near side where, where the Jazzers bench is at, uh, Dante just doesn't play a screen right at all, and not even close, and it gives up a wide open three to guess who, Conley. So, and then and uh, immediately Quinn subs uh, gets the substitution back in. Um, I believe I don't think it was Rubio, might have been Mitchell coming back in, and uh, and Dante comes back, and he and he and Johnny Bryant's the first to greet him, and he passes by coach who doesn't even acknowledge him. And Johnny Bryan greets him and he goes, what am I supposed to do? And I guess what the long way about with that story is Dante, as healthy as he's, I mean, even when he is healthy, he just doesn't get it, man. And I know Tony Jones of The Athletic is a huge fan of Dante Exum, but I just, I'm not seeing it. It's just, this is a Cadillac that you bought that just isn't running right. And he hasn't been healthy for most of the time. And like I said, when he is you know, he's out of control offensively, especially on the fast break. Defensively, he just looks lost. Like, he looks well, like a, he looks like Enos Cantor out there. <laughs> no, come on. Yeah, no, he does, man. There are some he times where the, the he isn't quite right in what he's supposed to do, but there have been times where he's been crucial in defensive possessions and even some offensive opportunities for the Jazz. I, I think his what has blunted his development as a player is his injuries. He hasn't had the time on the court or in the practice facility with the rest of his teammates and hasn't had that as much time, even though he's been in the league now, what, three, four years? He's coming down to his fourth season. So uh, he, uh, you have to consider that as to why maybe he is a little bit uh, behind in some of these things. But I, I think this is a make-or-break year for Dante Exum. I think that if he still can't quite get it together – the Jazz have to move on. They have to move in a different direction. The thing is that his physical skills or his physical uh, his physique, his length, his abilities are still very attractive. I think the Jazz like the idea of Dante Exum more than they like what they see on the court from Dante Exum when he plays every game. Because there are times when... They were playing Houston Rockets. He was the only oh my guy gosh. who could he hang with James Harden. Yeah, no, he was incredible. But how come we don't see it consistently? It's like this That's little peak that we see, you know, every 13 games. It can't be like that. If you're going to be a key contributor off the bench for this Utah Jazz team, this 2019-2020 Jazz team, 
You have to be able to be contributing every single game. Or at least over half the you know half the forty one games or eighty two games I should say, and and either he's not healthy or he's just not getting it. I just man, I think that project just run its course, and I think it's time to move on. And I wish when when they when the proposal came up for Dante Exum for Mike Conley, not straight up, and I won't tell the trade details on the air, but Dante Exum was a part of that package. I wish you would have done it. I wish we would have pulled the trigger, but feelings and. Chemistry or quote unquote chemistry got in the way. So, um, Eric, one, so besides Dante Exum, uh, oh, we still got to play this interview, huh? You want to play that now? Well, let me just ask you this before we play this. I I think this is a question that I've been thinking about a lot. Now that there are multiple playmakers and scorers around Donovan Mitchell, he won't need to necessarily do as much as he's had to do the last two seasons. How does that change the type of player that he is in year three? Oh my gosh! Does he evolve? Does he become even more dangerous because he'll be more fresh and less pressure on him, or because there's other guys doing some things that can play critical roles and critical minutes? Does he regress a little bit? No, he's this. This is great. This is why they got Mike Conley. To help Donovan Mitchell, uh, and and honestly, now you're not having, you know, you look at per possessions on the court for Donovan Mitchell, and it was a ton. It was an overwhelming amount. Now that gets halved, right? Maybe even less than that, which is really good because then that allows Donovan to not have to exhaust himself handling the ball as much as he was the last two years. Now it's there's there's more to it. There's more to the offense than instead of Donovan dribbling on the logo near side for 16 of the 24 seconds trying to figure out how to be able to score a bucket and rely and thinking that he has to rely on himself to do it. Now you've got shooters every which way you look. You've got, you've got big men who can contribute in whatever way they need to. Um, and, and you're able to, and it just spaces out the court, which is something that this team needs is speed, or excuse me, yeah, speed and space. When they're able to have uh, players move around the court and space the court out and give looks and create opportunities for Conley, for Mitchell, for uh, Bodjanovic, for Tony, or not Tony Radley, or Royce O'Neal, that's huge. That's absolutely huge for this team and something that they've needed the last two years. I also think that opposing defenses won't be able to co- just collapse and focus on Donovan, and by doing that, really eliminate the well, yeah, Jazz so offense. Th- yeah, and then I mean, now so defenses, opposing defenses, have to honor those other guys. That's going to create, as you say, more space for Donovan to operate. He'll look a little bit better, I think. Plus, I think you have to couple that with his experience over the summer with the U.S. Olympic t- or the uh, FIBA World Cup team. He was surrounded by not necessarily stars in the game, but really good talent in the game. And I, I think that was probably a good element for him to go through because that's what he's going to go through this season, having other guys that can carry certain periods in a game or can create and help facilitate for them and they help facilitate for him as well. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's kind of what I was pointing at is having shooters like uh, Bogdanovich and Ingles on opposite sides of the corners 
and and having Rudy Gobert at the block on one side, right? I mean, it's just it's humongous. It is so big for for Donovan not have to rely on himself, and I think it gives him a chance to be a playmaker and create for himself. But I, I mean, when they're I mean when that pressure and when they do collapse on him, it keeps the defense honest. When you have Ingles on the other side, and you can't just you know you don't you know Ingles is going to hit a look, um, and I know that. You know, for Bjanovic, he's going to have to make adjustments. Look, he was a guy who was, oh my heck, well over, I think, 60% of possessions in games with the Pacers. He had a touch on those possessions. And then when Victor Oladipo went out, it was over 80%. Yeah, his role got greatly expanded. Now, it's been reduced a lot, incredibly a lot. And he, but he understands that. And I think that's good for him, too, that he doesn't worry about having the ball in the hands. But he's, he's got other playmakers to do so, and that's it's going to be good for him. Can't wait. Coming up here on the Full Court Press, we'll hear from head coach Quinn Snyder, general manager Dennis Lindsay, what they have to say about this new-look Utah Jazz squad. Uh, don't forget, the fan is the new home for the Utah Jazz. It started the, that last year, but uh, that will continue again. Uh, all the jazz games heard right here on 1390 AM, 106.9 FM. So we'll hear more from them. Uh, ESPN went through and ranked the top 100 players in the NBA. Where are the jazz? Are there any jazz players on that list? And if so, how many and how are they ranked? We'll look at that as well. Coming up here on the Full Court Press. Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric France and Ajay Salveson, thanks for joining us on a Tuesday. Utah Jazz, certainly on our minds. They reported to camp yesterday. Coaches, players met with the media to discuss this upcoming season, some of the expectations that are now placed on this team, some of the moves that they've made, some of the successes that they've had, how do they continue to evolve and get better in a very competitive landscape in the Western Conference. So uh, Quinn Snyder, along with Dennis Lindsay, sat down together and uh, fielded questions from the media yesterday. And there's just so much good stuff in here. We thought that uh, to serve you best, we'd just share it with you in its entirety. So here's the head coach and the general manager meeting with the media, talking about this 2019-2020 season of the Utah Jazz. Quinn, just given the uh, sheer number of new faces that are with the team this year, what are some of the biggest challenges in terms of building chemistry from the outset? I think, you know, from a coaching standpoint, the, the first thing is to to get to know each player. You, you, you have preconceptions based on, you know, playing against guys. Um, and oftentimes you have a good feel, but there's always layers to that as you, as you want to get to know a player. And, you know, both personally and, you know, on the court. I, I think from that, you know, the, the interaction that, that players have together in combination, whether it be two guys or three guys, um, you know, kind of finding out ways that they can help each other. And then, you know, you just kind of builds from there as far as, um, you know, combinations and lineups. Those are things that I think it's not a, uh, you know, you're not taking a test at the start of the season. It's just an ongoing process. So, you know, we haven't seen everybody together yet. So it's in some respects, a lot of that's going to be new for us as a staff. And I think for the guys themselves, you know, to the extent that they're getting to know each other and we can try to put them in positions to accelerate that um, and to maximize it. 
and also to be very adaptable when it comes to that because I think, um, again, I think you, you find out things as the season goes along. Quinn, along those lines, uh, with previous free agents you brought in or in trades and these new guys, how much do you not know about their game until you actually get them in-house? You know, it's, it's in line a little bit with what um, I was saying before, but I, I think you have to be careful not to make assumptions. You know, there's a baseline. Um, and I think play, players, you know, it's like just all of us as people, you know. I'm a different coach today than I was two, three years ago. I happen to be in the same place. Um, but I think players change and mature over time. And then oftentimes when you do go um, to another place or you play with even the guys that are on our team now, you know, maybe different playing with different guys. So um, it, it's hard not to make those assumptions, you know. Um, you can certainly look even statistically, like Ed's a pretty good rebounder. You know, you know that. Um, and But at the same time, you know, you don't want to box people in. Because I think for players, too, um, you know, Mike hasn't played um, with, a, with a center that rolls like Rudy. I mean, so th there's, there's things that you need to see with guys in combination. And I think, um, you know, usually you know it's more addition than reduction as far as finding out more about guys. And then sometimes players, you know, they have, you know, they have ideas about how they want to improve and, and things they want, even, even veteran players. I mean, that, that's something for us that um, we've really tried to be conscious of is, is there's no, you know, you, certainly there's a point where you're, maybe there's not as dramatic a change in your game, but there's nothing that says certain guys, even you know, as they get older, can't add things to their game. And um, that's something, you know, we want to maximize the group and particularly, you know, guys that, that are here that we can try to help them get better. And they, sometimes they show us that too. How much do you see the style of play, both offensively and defensively, changing with the new additions? I, you know, I, I think that the the key thing on that point, because it's something I've had, you know, you think about it. I think as a coach, you know, every team, you know, is is different. Um, e even sometimes when certain combinations are the same, uh, just like you, you're certain things you can do against certain opponents. But more specifically, um, our identity doesn't change. You know, we still are a team that baseline wants to be you know an elite defensive team and that that's what we want to work towards now personnel may dictate that you play differently particularly in certain situations um you know because that's playing to your personnel we're we're more it's more uh common to think about playing to your personnel from an offensive standpoint um and we'll, we'll try to do that too i mean my, my job is to try to you know, kind of in line with what we were talking about as far as finding out about players, finding out about combinations, and then adjusting uh, to try to, whatever you're doing from a system standpoint, to maximize that. But the same thing as I would say on defense and competing and valuing defense, um, we're still going to emphasize transition defense. It doesn't matter who's on the floor, we got to get back. Um, that's the first line of defense. And then offensively, you know, we're a team that's that's been unselfish. And I think you could, um, that, that can apply to, to a lot of different things conceptually on offense. You know, whether it's somebody taking a good shot, sometimes somebody getting an offensive rebound and kicking it out. Um, 
you know, a high pass to the rim. The, the, all those things manifest themselves, but they may they may look a little differently with different personnel. But I think from a identity standpoint, you know, we like who we are, and um, our, I think our players, you know, even, even though some of the guys that haven't played in competition yet, you know, just from you know the way they've played at other places and in contact as we're getting to know them, uh, you know, you, there's something it's something that they will embrace. I'm confident of that. Looking at uh, Mike Conley coming in and, and being back court partner with Donovan Mitchell, what have you seen those two mesh together in the offseason? What kind of dynamic are you expecting offensively and defensively from that thing? Well, they, you know, the, the meshing part hasn't happened yet on the floor. Um, my, Mike Conley's an elite point guard. You know, I, I think just watching him play, um, being around him, you know, seeing how he interacts, I think. And when I say elite, um, that that manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Um, I, I think certainly on the court, some of the things he does, the feel that he has for a game um, and for players around him is really unique. Um, he impacts the game. He's an excellent shooter. Um, I think he's excited to, to play pick and roll. Um, you know, I'm excited to see him connect with other guys on our team and lead. And I think in Donovan's case, um, you have a guy that, in Mike that's unselfish, but also a, a guy that can play without the ball. I mean, I think because Mike is, is such a, a polished point guard in terms of his efficiency, um, his playmaking, you know, his instincts, you feel like he's come off wide pin downs and screening action. He's able to spot up. Um, you know, and I think as far as there being opportunities for him that will be created by playing with Donovan, um, in addition to opportunities for Donovan playing with Mike. And, and really, you could, you, could, you could say that about Boyan, um, you know, and Donovan or Mike or Joe, like those combinations. And I, I think that's effective when those guys embrace each other. And that's why we talked about the unselfishness, you know, that, you know, our ability, you know, for guys to play together and, you know, having multiple threats is something that, um, you know, can, can, can really be to our advantage if we play to it. And, and I think that, you know, I think these guys want to play that way, so. Given the number of guys who have had kind of number one experience, so to mm -hmm. speak, on this team, do you do you look at staggering those lineups? Do you, I mean, do you look at that as an opportunity to, uh, yeah, you know? you're right. It, it's a good question. It, it, well, first of all, we've got guys that have. I, I don't know how you qualify number one threat. Um, you could talk about it in terms of usage. Um, you know, Mike played with Zach Randolph and Marc Gasol, and if anything, there were times when he deferred. Um, Boyan last year we saw playing with Oladipo, you know, his role. Th those guys have, have ha they know what it takes to fit in. Um, when I say fit in, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, defer. It means how can I be most effective? And, um, you know, certainly, um, you know, let's say in Boyan's case, he, he knows who's on our team when he decides to, to come here. You know, he knows Mike's here and Donovan's here and Rudy and Joe and all the guys that have been, you know, at various times, you know, at least the guard's primary ball handler. So um, I think that speaks to the unselfishness that these guys have. And I think, like, I don't want 
anybody to defer to anybody else. You know, I want us to play in concert and and share the ball and, and find out the best opportunity. And I think the fact that you have players that, like, are capable of doing that, you know, if they're unselfish and play to each other and figure out how they can help each other, that, you know, that's something that not only is a positive for our team, but for those guys individually, it's a, it's a fun way to play. I mean, you know, Donovan going in the lane and having – you know, the ability to throw the ball over the top to Mike in the corner, um, in addition to throwing Rudy a lob, um, that, that's a good thing. Boyan spaced and, and driving the ball and, you know, pulling up and making a mid-range shot. Those are, so I think it's up to those guys to figure out how to complement each other. And I do think that's, that's not like a finite thing. Okay, this is what we do. I think game to game, um, you know, and their willingness to kind of take what is given, um, I think, is a, is a key thing. And for us to recognize what those things are. When you mentioned your Where's your headband? You don't no. have your headband. No, I'm not sweating there. yet. Yeah, well, okay. maybe after your answer. But um, he wore a headband the other day, and yeah, I embarrassed. Go myself. ahead. <laughs> uh, you mentioned your evolution as a coach over the, over the last you know five years you've been here. Has that impacted the way you? Um, I guess, developed your assistant coaches and, and kind of defined roles within your staff? You know, I, I had the, a unique opportunity. Um, I was, I moved five times in five years from, you know, Austin to Philadelphia to Los Angeles to Russia to Atlanta and here. And one of the things to me that was always, you know, um, I kind of put as a premium, particularly as a, as a, as a new head coach was there, was just the you know, how important the cohesion of the staff was. And we've had, you know, a couple of years ago, Igor going to Phoenix this year, uh, Tony Lang getting a great opportunity in Cleveland. The, the, the staff is always evolving. And, you know, whether it's your video room, you know, um, or your, you know, coaching staff proper, I think the key thing that we've tried to do is develop you know, people's to play to people's strengths and help develop, you know, things that they want to improve at. And we're we haven't we've had a standard kind of three guys on the bench last year. Um, it was Igor and Johnny and Alex. We'll rotate um, Lamar Skeeter and Vince Lagarza and Zach Guthrie through those spots based on a number of factors, scouting, things like that. So we've in some ways we've. You know, and the reason for that is because I think all those guys are really talented coaches. And the key for all of us as a staff, just it's no different than talking about Boyan and Mike and Donovan and Rudy, you know, Alex and Johnny, um, you know, their their leadership roles as they've grown as coaches. Um, and then the guys I just mentioned, their opportunities um, that, that, that are provided as people go. We. I've wanted to promote from within, and that's what we've done. We brought Brian Bailey in from the Stars um, to be on our staff. He's going to be working um, along with Jeff Watkinson. Jeff's um, Jeff's passion and one of his great strengths is player development. Um, he's got a, a unique background in that sense. So, you know, trying to give guys focal areas and while at the same time um, blending the staff together uh, to me it's it's been a big focus for me this offseason to be honest with you and I, I, I think we've had that every year every year with our team I'm really um, 
you know, obviously it's something that's important to me because I'm, I'm talking about it a lot right now. Um, but I, I think to the extent that we want our team to, to play a certain way, we want our staff to function a certain way, and, you know, those synergies between guys and guys having roles um, I think is important for our group, uh, for our staff, that is, and also for guys individually. So I'm, I'm really excited about our group. I think we have a very, very talented staff, um, both from an individual development standpoint, from, you know, a tactical standpoint, um, and from a relationship standpoint. Um, it's a big thing, especially when you have new players. So, Yeah, wow. Great. Great stuff there from both Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder. Uh, just their, the way that they approach the game, uh, the way that they think about basketball is, is definitely different than, than most. So uh, interesting about the, the roles of the different players, the new additions, the guys coming back, uh, how this team got put together. And uh, what what they want to do, what they want to achieve this year. So a pretty special group, pretty special leadership that this Utah Jazz organization has. Uh, you see a lot of dysfunction at some places in the throughout the NBA. Uh, you don't see that in Utah. Uh, so anyway, we'll we'll take a quick step aside. Uh, we'll get some more thoughts about the Utah Jazz after they've had their media day uh, next hour. We'll hear from. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, the stalwarts, the the young studs uh, coming back for the Utah Jazz and what they have to say about this new-look team and uh, their experiences playing internationally and how that might help them in 2019 and 2020 season. Also coming up, we're also going to give you our player of the week and the stat that blew our mind. We'll also give you a preview of what's going on for Major League Baseball playoffs. Wild card game starts tonight. Who's playing uh, and where and what's uh, what the schedule looks like over the next couple of days. Plus, uh, our thoughts about uh, the path to the World Series, who has the easiest path there. So we'll discuss that and more coming up right here on the Full Court Press. The Aggies, Jazz, High Schools, even the Pee Wee's T-Ball team. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, The Fan. Eric Franson, Ajay Salveson, Quinn Snyder, and Dennis Lindsay. Uh, Ajay, anything there that stood out to you? Yeah, just how he's going to utilize, um, you know, each guy. I mean, they have five shooters that they could put on the court at once. Oh, yes, that's amazing. They have five shooters they could put on the court at once, and that's with Rudy Gobert sitting, and they still feel they could be comfortable. Uh, he also talked about how they're going to be patient with lineups. Like he's he's going to test lineups early and often, and that's what preseason's about, Eric. These games against these Australian teams is going to be about what does my lineup look like if I do this, if I do this, if I do this. He's going to makeshift different lineups, and and fans are going to say, "What are you doing? Shut up! It's preseason. That's what it's about, right? That's that's it's about seeing what's going to fit best for you guys in case you know you have to make adjustments, or I mean, you're playing a certain team and. You want to have a different matchup, and that's what they're going to do. Um, yeah, I loved what uh, Dennis Lindsay said when he said, "You know, quote this sea or this summer is been has been about a lot of small wins over the past couple of years." 
Yeah. This is all this has added been together. years in the making. That's exactly right. And that's what he was pointing out is, is that, look, this didn't just come all at once. We're like, oh, bam. Yeah, okay. Here <laughs> yeah, it is. We are now a Western Conference throwing con- names on. Uh, what if we did this? Yeah, right? Just throwing madness at the board and seeing which ones would stick. This is this has been a a a building project for the last three to four years. And, of course, a couple or well, a major Part of that house fell down when Gordon Hayward decided to head to Boston. They had to reset. They got very fortunate in getting Donovan Mitchell. I cannot explain that or uh, state that enough for you. Um, that when getting Donovan Mitchell, it 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 just it reset everything right side up for them. Um, and so he he was very very thrilled about the way the off season went, and he was aggressive, and he was supposed to be. Um, one thing that he won't say, and I really want to point this out, Eric, let me ask you, who do you think the most pressure is on for this team? Individual. Ooh, wow. Um, I think the most pressure is on Donovan. Okay. Why? He's become the face of the franchise. And with everything that's been done, the moves that have been made, it's and with him playing internationally now. Uh, I think the pressure is on him to be okay. Take us to that next level. Be a, be a contender. I like that, and I think it's on his shoulders. And I think he welcomes that. I don't think he shies from it. I think no, yeah. I think Gordon Hayward shied away from that. He didn't like that pressure. He just wanted to go out and play basketball. He didn't want to be the face of a franchise. Yeah. He didn't want everybody expecting him to take the. The shot in the closing moments. Yeah, I don't think he was comfortable in that role. Um, Donovan feeds off. Oh, Donovan is like he drools over it. For me, it's Coach Snyder. For years, we've been given excuses of why Coach Snyder hasn't been able to win with this team: injuries, not enough talent. Gordon Hayward leaves. Donovan was a rookie. Donovan's in his second year, and you lost Gordon Hayward. Well, I mean, just whatever. They gave you Mike Conley, Bojanovic. Ed Davis, so great depth, a good starting lineup. Um, got defensive player of the year. On defensive player of the year, uh, a guy who's going to try and compete for MVP of the year if he can have the season that we hope that he will have. Uh, you have, and and, and your your schedule is about split in half. Usually, it's like, hey, you know, what? first half is incredibly hard. Second half is just a cupcake for us. Split in half now. It's it's pretty even both ways, and you have a very tough down the stretch yeah, in that it's final not front part. Load, it's not back. No, load. not at all. So with that, all right, Quinn. Now what can you do with this? If right. he can't win with this roster, you've had the best tools ever. Bingo. And if you can't win with this roster, I don't know what we should do with you. I don't know what we can do more. And 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 that's and that's where this goes into, and then. I think that kind of finally leads into when I say that, Eric, what is your highest ceiling? What is your bottom basement with this team? And what's the main floor? Ooh, I think that's a great question. Uh, I, I think the, the ceiling for this team could be Western Conference Finals. I don't think they're an NBA Finals team yet. But I do think that the if all goes right, the highest potential, all the stars align with this team, the way they're built, I could see them making it to the Western Conference Finals. 
what's their basement? Uh, a road playoff team. They're, the Western Conference is still super stacked and really good. Uh, if, if the chemistry doesn't end up working out like we all hope and anticipate, I think this will still be a good basketball team. Mm-hmm. I think they'll make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the basement could be maybe a sixth seed. Okay. I wouldn't really see this team with the talent it has and the depth that it has to be any lower than that. Okay. And what's the main floor? I, I, I could easily see them as a second or third seed come playoff time. So realistically, you're about where you are with a high ceiling. That's, that's incredible. Pretty that's close. amazing. Yeah, I love that. You know, and, and I'm with you, Eric. I, I think your highest seed is, uh, I think your highest ceiling is is honestly a two seed. I really think with the Jazz, this team can be a two seed. I know that's nuts. I know it makes this almost just, it's it, it makes you shake your head and think, what the heck are you talking about? Jazz, two seed? 97, 98 all over again? Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, I, 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 and I think that team can do just this. Now, the bottom floor... The basement, I see is a seven or eight. I, I mean, they still make the playoffs, but they're in that seven to eight range. And do you know what's crazy? Is even at a seven to eight, I still think they could compete with a one or two. <laughs> they might, they could possibly be the most dangerous eight seed going into the playoffs. But I realistically, Eric, I see him as a four seed. Really? I do. I, 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 which would be great. It's higher than a five. Uh, and, but, uh, yeah, I see him as a four seed as of right now. I think that um, the Clippers are going to be really tough. LeBron's re-energized, and so, as are the Lakers now with their new crew. Um, I think Russell Westbrook and, and James Harden are going to be deadly together. I, I know people are thinking, dude, he's going to lose his bricks. It's, it's going to be nuts. They aren't going to be able to find the time for ball per possessions. But, I, man, it still terrifies me. There's nights alone where Russell Westbrook or James Harden killed us on two separate teams. Now they're on the same team. So uh, that's that's kind of where I sit okay. with that. But okay. Yeah. I could see that. But, I, I mean, I don't think Denver, Portland, Minnesota, San Antonio, uh, or New Orleans can compete with us. I don't. I would agree with that. I think Denver will have a decent season again, but the Jazz – are their kryptonite. So I, I think that um, the Jazz will will prevail. Uh, I think they just have more more experience, more stars, and just better players than, the, than Denver does. All right, we'll continue to discuss the Utah Jazz. ESPN put together their top 100 players in the NBA for the upcoming season. Where do some of the Jazz players land on this list? And also we'll discuss next hour, Major League Baseball playoffs getting underway. We've got a wild card game tonight. Who's playing where? What does the path look like to the World Series? We'll discuss that as well. Coming up right here on 1390 AM, 106.9 FM, The Fan. The new home for the full court press. Weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Full Court Press, Eric Franson, Ajay Salveson. I'd like to get your feedback. 
What's the ceiling for the Jazz? I like your question, Ajay. What's the ceiling? What's the basement? What's the main floor? So what's what do you think is realistic? Yeah, what's your best, what's your worst case scenario, and what's your realistic expectation? Mine really isn't very What's crazy, a whole lot. Well, you know, and see, Mine, it's well, not a very it does, big window. It does, but it doesn't. I mean, look, a seven seed versus a two seed is a big deal. And uh, but I mean, that main floor of being a two or a three is is amazing. Like that's exciting to hear, Eric. When's the last time you said in your head, "Yeah, I could realistically see the Jazz in the top two or three? Not since ninety seven, ninety eight. And I don't even think, yeah, 2000, maybe 03 or 07 when the Jazz were one of the better teams in the Western Conference. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this is this is nuts. And uh, and then for me, you know, even what's crazy is our worst-case scenario has them in the playoffs. Our basement flooded has them in the playoffs still. Right. This team that is stunning to me. Has <laughs> so much talent and depth that... We th- we think their worst worst case scenario is there's still a playoff. Game. Yeah, you know what I hate though is that now that there's two really good LA teams, all you're gonna see on ESPN, Bleacher Report, you name it, is gonna be all LeBron talk shows, and all the talk shows that you'll hear on this very station, except for ours, except for ours, all your talk shows are gonna be like LeBron and the Lakers, Kawhi and the Clippers, LeBron this, LeBron but, that. Zion, based in Los Zion picked Angeles, his nose, flinged it on the court, and then went and dunked it. on that same booger that he just flinged on the court. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's that's what you're going to hear. You and I will talk about the Jazz. We'll focus on the Jazz. Will we give you NBA talk? Sure. We'll focus on Utah, though. I can't wait for Are, are we going to be airing those games this Saturday, by the way? Uh, the exhibition games? That I don't know. That's a good question. We need to find out and report it to our listeners. Yes, we will. Okay. Hey, by the way, NBC Sports has their preseason top 25 for college basketball. Utah State at number 15. No! Really? Number 15. What? Can we talk about that next hour? <laughs> yes. We'll roll it into next hour. Oh, Stay tuned for that. We'll also talk up. Major League Baseball and the playoffs to get underway tonight. Who has the best path to the World Series? Stay tuned. Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed the Fair Pay to Play Act on Monday, which means student-athletes will be able to profit off their likeness in the near future, at least in California. Other states are developing their own laws, and the NCAA will certainly have their say. There's a long way to go until this actually happens, but it does seem the change is coming, which can be scary. But sports evolve. They always have. As Yahoo Sports columnist Dan Wetzel and others have pointed out, it wasn't that long ago. Olympic athletes couldn't get paid. That changed, and the Olympics are still doing great. This might be a messy process for college sports, but public sentiment has been trending this way for some time. Something was bound to happen, and now the change is here. Hopefully the new rules will be fair for everyone. That's not always been true with college sports. So hopefully all the sports we love will not only survive, but maybe thrive under a new system. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.